Amen. If you have a Bible with you tonight, you turn with me, please, to a very, very familiar portion of God's Word as found in the Acts of the Apostles in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we're going to commence our reading at verse uh, 23. You know the story. Paul and Silas were missionaries, ministers of the gospel. They had gone to Macedonia to preach the word of God. When they went there, God blessed them. And a very important businesswoman, a woman called Lydia, who was a seller of purple, she came to know Christ. The Bible says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart. It was down at a prayer meeting down by the riverside. And some Bible commentator, he said, Lydia opened her spiritual ears. And God opened her heart, and she received Christ as her Savior. And then there was a young woman, the Bible calls her a young damsel, possessed of an evil spirit. She made her masters much money by soothsaying or by fortune-telling. And uh, she followed Paul and Silas about the place, and everywhere they went, she, she cried out, "'These men are the servants of the Most High God.'" which show unto us the way of salvation. I'm not sure what way she said it. She may have shouted it out. These men are the servants of the Most High God. She may have been very, very sarcastic in her tone and said, These men, Paul and Silas, do you think that they're the servants of them? I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't tell us, but that's what she did. But Paul was grieved, and he turned, and he commanded the evil spirit to come out of her. And of course, immediately she was delivered and converted to Christ. But her masters were not happy. And they caught Paul and Silas. They beat them. They brought them to the magistrates. They accused them of troubling the city. And the Bible tells us they put them into the prison. And the jailer there, he fastened them in the innermost prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So we take up our reading at verse 23. The Bible says, When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and he sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house, 
And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Amen. We'll end our reading there at verse 34. Again, may God bless his word. Let's bow in prayer and ask God's help upon the ministry of his precious word. Father in heaven, we thank thee again tonight for thy presence already with us. We thank thee, Lord, that we are gathered in thy house. We're gathered around the open Bible, the word of the living God. And we come, Lord, to preach thee the old-fashioned gospel message, the gospel that brings men and women from darkness into light, from death unto life, and from the power of sin and Satan unto God. And how we thank thee, O God, that in this day and age in which we live, the gospel of Christ is still the power of God unto salvation. So we ask thee, Lord, to bless us tonight, just now as we wait around thy precious word. Fill us with thy spirit, do us good, and bless your word to every waiting heart. Bring sinners to Christ, we pray. Restore the backslider and bless your people, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as I said, it's a very familiar portion of God's word, and I'm sure we've heard it being preached upon on many, many different occasions. But I want to think with you tonight on a very simple theme. Uh, it's a theme that we see in the life of this man we call the Philippian jailer, because he cried out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I will never forget Acts chapter 16. I love the book of Acts, and I love to read it. Uh, but I'll never forget Acts chapter 16 because when we were married 50 years ago, the preacher decided to preach on Acts chapter 16. And uh, I don't know what he thought it had to do with a wedding, but there you are. Uh, that's one of those things. But the preacher preached on Acts chapter 16. And people who were at our weddings, they, they might forget the hymns, they might forget other things, but they never forget the message. And uh, maybe that was his aim and his object. But here's this old man we call the Philippine jailer, a hardened man, sinful man, but yet a hard-working man and a man with great responsibility. And he's there in charge of the prison house at Philippi. And as Paul and Silas sang and prayed and praised God, as we mentioned this morning, suddenly there was a great earthquake. And every time I read that verse, I think of the late pastor, Ivan Thompson, a Baptist pastor and a great gospel preacher and a good friend of mine. And Ivan used to preach about this subject and he used to say, you know, God sent an earthquake and he says the jailhouse rocked and Presley hadn't even been born. And that's the way he described this event. Well, Paul and Silas sang, they prayed, at midnight, and God shook the whole prison, that everyone's bonds were loosed and the doors were all opened. And this man, this jailer, rather than have his life taken from him by the authorities, he drew out his own sword and he was ready to take his own life. But Paul cried out and said, Do thyself no harm, 
for we are all here. And he came and he, he, he came called for a light and he sprang into this innermost prison cell where Paul and Silas were. And he fell down before them and he said in verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He was searching for salvation. And I know that perhaps in this day and age, when people talk about being saved, well, some people say, well, you know, that's a, an old-fashioned term. That's an archaic term. But it's a Bible term and it's a Bible word. When the Lord Jesus Christ was born into this world, the Bible says, the angel said, call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. When the Lord went about in his earthly ministry, he said, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Away back in the Old Testament scripture, that famous text in Isaiah 44 where Mr. Spurgeon was saved, God says, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved, for I am God, and there is none else. Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And the jailer inquired, What must I do to be saved? And yet we're living in a time when men and women have heard this message and heard the message of the gospel. And yet sometimes people say, Well, why? Why must I be saved? I'm a good person, I'm a religious person, I'm a good citizen. People say, I never did anyone any harm. I try my best. I, I've been baptized. I've sung in the choir. I've been a, a, an elder in a church. I've been a deacon in a church. I've done this. I've done that. I've tried my best. And, and why, why do you emphasize being saved? And beloved, there are many questions that are on the hearts and minds of people in this day and age. But this is the most important one. As the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And when you're thinking tonight about this man and his search for salvation, I want just to explain, as it were, to you, uh, those who are in the house of God, those who are watching online, why men and women need to be saved. You know, first of all, what I have called the plain statements of Scripture— Tell us we need to be saved. The plain statements of Holy Scripture, even those verses I have already quoted with that little word saved in them, remind us that men and women need to be saved. And when I talk about the Holy Scriptures and I pray before I preach God's Word, I say, oh God, help me to handle this book, the Word of God, reverently. And help me to preach God's word rightly, to rightly divide the word of truth. And help me, Lord, to do it patiently, uh, that spreading the good seed of the, the word of God, the incorruptible seed that liveth and abideth forever. Because I realize when I handle this book, beloved, this book is a royal book. There are many libraries throughout the whole world. There are many great religious books. But this book, the Bible, the 66 books of the canon of Holy Scripture, this is the royal book. This is God's word. This is God's law. 
When Her Majesty the Queen ascended to the throne, at her coronation service, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he took a copy of the Holy Scriptures. He presented it to Her Majesty, as was the custom at coronations. And he said to her, Receive the royal law. Receive the royal law. There are many other laws to wipe the land, passed by Parliament, but this book is the royal law. And God's book says that men and women need to be saved. And can I put it to you that this book is not only the royal book, this book is a reliable book. This book, it's not a science book. It's not a geography book. It's not a, a book that uh, pertains to certain things. It's not a book about astronomy. But yet the wonderful thing about it is this, that whenever it speaks about those subjects, it is accurate every time. And I often think about it, you know, when men and women talk about the philosophies of this world. Many, many years ago, hundreds of years, thousands of years ago, people said that this world was flat. In fact, there are still some people in the Flat Earth Society. When Columbus set out to discover the new world, they said to him, don't go, be very careful. You could sail so far, you could sail right over the edge. But away before that, people believed that this world sat on the back of four mammoths, like big elephants. And those four mammoths, they in turn stood on the back of a giant turtle. That was the view of men and women, of the intelligentsia, of the leaders. And those say, what did the Bible say? The Word of God says, He sitteth upon the circle of the earth. In other words, the earth is round. It's a sphere. The Word of God says, He hangeth the earth upon nothing. In other words, the earth is out there in space, just where God placed it, where God put it, and where God controls and sustains it. Because this book is a reliable book. So therefore, when it comes to the subject of religion and right living and salvation and heaven and hell, you can rely on this book. I said there are many other religious books, but this is God's book. And this is God's word. And this is a reliable book. It's a book that you can trust, and it is relevant. It's a relevant book for men and women today. Men and women today still have the same problems and the same difficulties as people had when Paul wrote, and when Luke wrote these words, and God breathed these words, when God took holy men of God who were moved as the Spirit of God was upon them, and they gave us these words. And the problem's still the same. I know in our world today, people say, well, the problem is people need to get better housing, and we need to get better education, and we need to get better this and better that and better the other thing. But the problem is the problem of sin. And 
The plain statements of Holy Scripture make it clear that men and women need to be saved. Why? Because of the problem of sin and its seriousness. We used to sing a wee chorus in the children's meeting. S-I-N is a very little word, but it always spells disaster. And you must leave it very much alone or it will become your master. And the Bible says that sin is a universal thing. For the Word of God says in Romans 3 and 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in this world of this human race, born of Adam's sinful, fallen, ruined race, we are sinners. It's a universal malady. And we need to be saved because we are sinners. We have fallen short of God's glory. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression against the law of God. And we just look around us in our day and age, just listen to the news and hear all the horror stories and the stories of crime and sin and violence and vice. And we realize sin and its seriousness is a terrible problem. It's a universal problem. It's a personal problem because the Bible tells us that all have sinned, therefore you have sinned, I have sinned. We are sinners before God. In that wonderful chapter of the Bible in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, we're reminded that as sinners we are lost. The Lord told a story about the sheep that was lost and about the silver that was lost and then about the son who was lost. And we might say the sheep was lost through foolishness. The coin was lost through carelessness. The son was lost through his own willfulness and wanted to get away from the father's house and into the far country. And the golden letters, as it were, that opened that great chapter is they came and they criticized Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees says, this man receiveth sinners. And tonight, thank God, Jesus still receives sinners. Sinners, Jesus will receive, spread the word of grace to all who the heavenly pathway leave, all who linger, all who call. Whether men and women are lost through their own folly and foolishness, lost out in the desert, whether they're lost through carelessness as the lady lost the piece of silver that would mean so much to her and, and, and it's there not in the desert but in the very dwelling or that son who willfully departed and went away into the far country but they're lost and they're lost and they need to be saved. And the problem with sin and its seriousness is this, that it's universal, it's personal, but it's accountable. See, people think that they can sin with impunity. People think they can live whichever way they like and they will never, ever have to give an account for it. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says in the law of the harvest, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The Bible tells us even in this book of Acts in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 17, when Paul preached to the superstitious people and the, 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 the clever philosophers and the Stoics,
All these men at Mars Hill and they, they, they made their gods. It was said it was easier to find a god, an idol in Athens than it was to find a man. And there they had their gods. Paul says, you've put up an altar and the altar says to the unknown God. Well, he says, I'll tell you who the unknown God is. He's the God who made the world and all things that are in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, and he doesn't dwell in temples made with men's hands. He says, in him we live and move and have our being. And then he reminds them. He says, God hath appointed a day, Acts 17, 31, in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. So men and women, we need to be saved. It's a plain statement of Scripture. It tells us we need to be saved. Because of the problem of our sin and its seriousness, we need to be saved. But can I just remind you also, because of the passion and the suffering of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, shows us proves to us we need to be saved. The old hymn writer asked the question, why was he there as the bearer of sin? You know, Isaiah, the prophet, could say, all we like sheep had gone astray in our folly. We had turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 24, that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we were sinners, Isaiah says. We'd all gone our own way, but the Lord laid on him. He became our substitute. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 and, uh, and 21, and he says, He hath made him to be sin who knew no sin. The Lord Jesus, who knew no sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. In other words, that we might be saved. And beloved, tonight when we think about Calvary, and we think about what it cost the Savior that he, he stepped out of eternity and he came into time. And he stepped out of the, the, the heavenly, the ivory palaces and he came through the pearl home gates of glory and he came down into this world and he was born in Bethlehem and there was no room for him in the end. He came on to his own and his own received him not. There were times when they tried to, to kill him, to keep him from going to the cross. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And when we think of how he performed the miracles and he healed the sick and he raised the very dead to life, and we think of how even at 
we come up to the Easter season, we remember how he, he rode into Jerusalem riding, as the prophet said, Zechariah said, 9 and 9, that he would come into Jerusalem riding upon the colt, the first thing of an ass. And the people cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then the next time the crowd cries, away with him, crucify him. We will not have him to rule over us. And they chose Barabbas, who for sedition and for murder is called a notable or a notorious prisoner. And Pilate says, whom will ye that I release unto you? And they all cry out, Barabbas, Barabbas. And then they cried out, let his blood be upon us and on our children. An awful thing for them to say. And we think of how the Savior was taken and how he was buffeted and he was beaten. I mentioned this morning about that vision that John had on the Isle of Patmos and uh, the Lord has eyes even as flames of fire. Uh, baby, that's why they, they had to blindfold him as they smote him. Couldn't look into his eyes. And they smote him and they plucked the hairs from off his face. And they whipped him so much that his back was like a plowed field, the prophet says. And his visage was marred more than any man's. And then they took him and they nailed him to a cross between two thieves. Why did they nail him to Calvary's tree? Why, tell me, why was he there? Jesus, the Savior and the healer and the friend, why, tell me, why was he there? And the hymn writer gives the answer, all our iniquities on him were laid. He bore them all to the tree. Jesus, the debt of my sins fully paid, he gave the ransom for me. Friend, let me tell you, dear friend, if there was any other way to be saved, do you not think the Lord would have had to go to the cross? But there's only one way that the sinless, spotless, impeccable Lamb of God that he took our sins and he became sin for us that if we believe in him we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So this jailer came and he cried out, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who is Lord. He is God, a very God. He is Jesus he is the one who can save us from our sins. He is Christ. He is the Messiah. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Dear friend, he came. He heard about this great person, the Lord Jesus. He heard about God's wonderful plan of salvation. And he believed the promise. If you believe in him, thou shalt be saved. It's put another way in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 12. As many as received him, the Lord Jesus, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. I wonder, friend, tonight, what about you? Have you believed, like this man, the Philippine jailer, 
the third great conversion in that chapter, the businesswoman Lydia, the little demon-possessed girl, now this Philippian jailer. He says, what must I do to be saved? They tell him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I shall be saved. You could turn the question around, what must I do to be lost? Do nothing. Just go on in your own way, in your own sins. Friend, there's a lost eternity. That's why we preach the gospel, that you might hear, that hearing you might believe, and that you might be saved. May God bless his word to our hearts tonight for his own dear name's sake. Let's bow together, please, in a word of prayer. And just as we bow together in prayer, and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, can I say, I'm your servant for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. If you're in our meeting, you don't know the Savior, you realize tonight you need to be saved. God's word tells you that. You're a sinner. You need to be saved. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross to save you from a lost eternity. What will you do with Jesus? What will your answer be? For one day your soul will be asking, what will Jesus do with me? If I can be of any help to you, to point you to Christ, speak to me at the door, tell us, like to speak to us for a moment or two. You may gladly show you from God's word, God's way of salvation. But don't leave the meeting without getting right with God. Father in heaven, we thank thee again tonight for the simple message of the gospel of Christ. We thank thee, Lord, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Lord, we just pray tonight that you'll bless your word, that some dear soul may come and believe on him whom thou hast sent, that they might be saved for time and for all of God's eternity. Part us now with thy blessing, in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and remain and abide with us all now until the Lord Jesus Christ comes or calls. Amen.